2: Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, can scientific experiments help safeguard soldiers? Yes, maggots can be used to clean out wounds, and there's a logic to shooting chickens at jet engines. Mary Roach, author of Grunt, The Curious Science of Humans at War, is on the phone to answer our questions about the intersection of science and battle. Plus, Ant Stories... Nobody's have sent in more stories of their favorite eccentric relatives. The ants go marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah, and they ain't marching down to the ground. We've got ant stories by the hundreds. I'm Adam Felber, the man who tries to act as a weekly drill sergeant, forming up our discourse into a coherent formation, ready for inspection by you, our listeners. And now, please welcome the woman who specializes in guerrilla conversation, keeping the forces of logic forever on the run... It's Paula Poundstone! Yay, Poundstone! Hey, how are you? Hey.
0: And if I haven't Welcome. said it recently, happy, happy New Year. Uh, hey, Adam, <laughs> and thanks to tonight's house band, Nobody, and returning champion, Casey Bozell. Casey is from Portland, Oregon. She's a violinist who is the host of Keeping Classical Weird. Check it out at keepclassicalweird.com. Oh, boy. Wow.
1: yeah. You'd love this, it.
0: This new year, and I and I don't think it's too late to talk about it. It has been so stimulating and so different, you know, than last year.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm surprised to hear you say that, Paula, because um, most of the conversations I've had with you in the last uh, week or two, you've been kind of calling bullshit on the whole concept of a new year.
0: Oh no, it's vastly different, vastly different. I I, I get up every day, and my furniture has been rearranged in the middle of the night. Um,
2: You've been kind of a calendar denier, to be honest with you.
0: No, I'm not a calendar denier. What I denied was that our circumstances were somehow going to be different because a day had turned to another day. But I don't think that anymore. You guys really (laughs) talked me into your side. It's really remarkable. What a difference. Um, hey, uh, Adam, actually speaking of differences, I have a new idea for our show. Oh wow. I was thinking, because I, I listened to uh Pod Save America, which I really enjoy, and um John Favreau had said in his um New Year's resolutions that he would like to read more. And that made me start thinking, well, I hardly ever read myself. And so um I was thinking that we should start a book club and we should reach out to John Favreau to join our book club. But we just, you know, us, we can have a a book club.
2: I love the idea of a book club. Uh, And uh, I think everybody, everybody out there uh, on our show does. You're talking about everybody here who records the show would read a book together. Yeah. Yeah, no, Maybe we'll our listeners a, could read too and we could, and we'll get together on the show and discuss each week how we're doing in the book and you yeah, know, a book club is basically what you're saying.
0: What I'm saying is a book club. Let me, a book club. Let me put it in another way, Adam. I was thinking okay. that we could have a book club.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I like I in favor I can get of us having some kind this. of a book club.
0: Yeah, exactly. What I was thinking about, and um just hear me out. I was okay. thinking about having a book club.
2: Uh, and what we could do is we could read Blow the Blow me away. Walk me over with a feather. So, that's, all, that's almost like having a book club, Paula.
0: Exactly what I was thinking. And we could each belong to the book club. And let's face it, that's really what we want is a sense of belonging. So uh, we have with us this week, we, we have Ken, um, who writes our, our show. Uh, um, well. As it is. Well, uh, that's
2: as it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ken, uh, so Ken from Brooklyn, Ken, New York.
3: Well, How are you? Well, I'm, I'm very good. Just reminding everybody, I'm at the moment still in Los Angeles. But yes, I'm thrilled to be here and very excited about the book club concept.
0: Let me just say, I don't know if you understood the concept, Ken. I know Adam kind of had a hard time oh, with okay. it. What we'll do is yeah. we'll read a book, okay. all of us together, the same book. <laughs> Not the same copy of the book, um, but we'll read a book together, and then we'll talk about it. Um, by the way, uh, I don't know how many of you listeners um, heard our shows over the holiday, but Ken Lizebnik out and out lied to us, saying uh, yeah. that he was unavailable at certain points. He would say, oh, well, he couldn't be with us because he was going to be in Brooklyn.
1: And well, yeah.
0: uh, turned out, nope. He was in Los Angeles the whole time. Well, so now we have <laughs> no one, surveillance.
3: Just over the but holiday, You know, Paula,
2: you know how he was fooling us is, is he's been fooling us on this, uh, you know, on this phone line by uh, he's got a Brooklyn backdrop behind him.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Plus, he kept calling in three hours early and he would say, oh, sorry, I, I'm in Brooklyn. It's total, total bullshit. He was never in Brooklyn uh, the entire. Time. So we have Ken with us to start our uh, our book club, and and we have Captain Quinkle Bonnie Burns, and we have uh, Tony Anita Hull. Uh, who I'm so happy to uh, get a chance to to hear from again. Oh, I've missed Tony Anita Hull so much.
2: Um, oh, it's our it's our favorite hand puppet, Mrs. Culpepper. Mrs. Culpepper, you're welcome to join um uh, our book club if you'd like.
0: Well, how exactly will that work?
2: Well, you'd read a book uh, <laughs> th- while Paula's reading it. I would guess it's a uh, oh, it's a oh, hand puppet's so what, lot in life. You have to read at her speed. So,
0: so what you do then uh, is you read a book, and then uh, all of you read a book for the book club. Is that right?
2: Well, when you describe it that way, it sounds almost like a book club. But yeah, <laughs> that's a that's what Paula is suggesting.
0: Oh, that sounds love. I would very much enjoy that. And I, and I do hope that John Favreau from that uh, uh, other podcast, uh, uh, Pod Save America, I do hope that he could join us as well.
2: Um, I'm confident he will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Um, All right. Then uh, let's uh, let's go around the horn and get people's suggestions for this book club. Since we've uh, talked to him so much already, let's just start with uh, over in Fake Brooklyn, New York. Ken Lizetnik,
3: <laughs> do you have a book to suggest? I absolutely for do. Our, in Brooklyn
0: Village, uh, which is a part of
3: <laughs> North Hollywood, I, Little um, Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> yes. So what I, what book should we start so here's with?
3: Here's the. You know what? Actually, it is kind of a New York book. But here's my thinking. You know, with book clubs, to me. The notion is that you try to take a book that you would love to read, that you feel like you really should have read, but it's really, really long. And so you just can't bring yourself to start it. But with the energy behind you of a group of people, you can get through this book. So my suggestion is to read The Power Broker uh, by Robert Caro. It is the definitive biography of Robert Moses, the man who remade New York City. Um, It is a Pulitzer Prize winning book. It is a nonfiction history it is a one of those doorstop books. It is. It weighs in at one thousand three hundred thirty-six pages, so oh
0: my it God. would wow.
3: it would be a big read. Are there
0: pictures, Ken? Are there pictures in the book? There, I have looked. My, how big is
3: the print? My not big. My son Ben is almost done with it, and so I have my copy. Um, but it, there are photographs. There are photographs of New York and of Robert Moses and of the various projects that he initiated. It's it's uh it is a Pulitzer Prize winner. It's a great book, I understand. And uh, that's my pitch. The Power Broker uh, by Robert Caro.
0: It's over that sounds a thousand really good. pages? Have you one checked? thousand
2: three hundred? Yes.
0: Have you checked Ben to make sure that um, his blood's not pooling up uh, on his buttocks where he's been sitting while he read
2: one thousand three hundred pages?
3: Because that's dangerous. Well, Ben's a voracious that's... reader. He's much a much better reader than I am. Um, wow! But you know, well, I like I like that idea, Ken. Ooh. And the thing about Robert Moses, of course, he's a very controversial figure because he was uh, a huge advocate of. Uh, Projects and urban renewal projects, many of which were deemed very destructive in the long run. He, for instance, he he wanted to put a highway through the middle of Washington Square Park because he believed in the future, the future of like the automotive industry and and highways. He was a big advocate for highways. Um, Fortunately, some-
2: and he was a, he was also uh, he was also behind the uh, the mandatory smoking car in all trains.
3: <laughs> I didn't know that, but I. <laughs> yeah,
2: you had to smoke if you were in <laughs> a certain see.
3: car in the trains <laughs> during Robert Moses. He
2: yeah. also
0: um, he went up on a mountain one day, and a <laughs> burning bush started talking to him. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're thinking
2: you're thinking of the you're thinking of the Israelite Bob Moses, <laughs> often confused. <laughs> Uh, uh, sh- uh, it sounds like uh, somebody's uh, getting voicemail in the background here. Uh,
0: there was, actually. We turned the ringer off, but that didn't stop the voicemail. And a pe- that was okay. Moses. Um, <laughs> and he said, fuck the... You know, I love it that there was a bush burning and his decision was to talk to it. Um, I think <laughs> that we all know now that the first thing you want to do is, you know, extinguish it. Th- th- throw a blanket yeah. over it. Something. Absolutely. Don't Don't talk Sing- to it.
2: Sigler, don't talk to the don't talk to the bush. Hey, um, let's let's go uh, we've got one suggestion there, and it's a weighty one. Let's head from fake little Brooklyn uh, in North Hollywood <laughs> over to uh, Sherman Oaks, uh, where, where Tony Anita Hull has a has a suggestion for a book in our book club.
4: I do. I had five, and then I narrowed it down to three, and now I'm down to two suggestions. Wow. So the first is The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. Mm. It's the oh, only novel uplifting. she ever wrote,
0: and uh-huh. apparently it's semi-autobiographical. So you know, I, um, I think we want it. Might save that for next holiday season.
2: <laughs> 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 I it's, I it's think I might uplifting. have read The
5: Bell Jar in college, but I have no memory of it. I've I've read it too.
0: But, oh, okay. Um,
5: Captain when, my, uh,
0: when my when my when uh, my daughter was turning five, I gave her a bell jar themed birthday.
1: <laughs> wow. Mm.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of you know her little friends that were guests. Um, I gave them each one a mirror, and. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> Um, Yeah. Okay. So I can't believe that's your, your, and you narrowed down. You had five, and that's what you came up with, the bell jar. I've
4: I've been wanting to read it, and it's been on my shelf for a long time.
0: So, yeah. I don't even think you should read it at all.
2: Yeah. What's your, what's your second choice? A brief history of beheadings?
4: is no. It's Brené Brown daring greatly how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent and lead. Oy. <laughs> um Brené Brown is amazing.
0: I think we're gonna have to have five separate clubs. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> well <laughs> Well, fine. You're, you're not wrong. Um, well, Tony, I like your suggestions. I'm not sure they have a prayer in this crowd, but uh, how uh, about thank hey? You for playing. Okay,
4: I'll throw out my third one. Good Why Omens. you're just making my it more Neil complicated? Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. What
2: well, Good is, Omens this? is What's a the great, next one? Good Omens is is one of the best books ever written. I've read that. I've read that three times. There you go. I love Good Omens. That's it. Um, I'm, I
0: don't know I'm anything passing. about it. I. That, that's why I am speechless because I don't know I don't know anything about that book so I chose to mm. say nothing but if it if it, it in any way uh is related to these other themes not. of
2: It is toonies. not. <laughs> it's, it's not. Good like Omens is, is a not. Yeah. Good Good Omens a- a- is a novel by uh, Neil Gaiman and and the late Terry Pratchett and it's a it's a book about um the antichrist being born um but there's <laughs> well, a, yeah. but there's a but there's a baby <laughs> switch in in England in modern England in London um and the Antichrist ends up going to this regular suburban household and this normal baby ends up being taken care of by these dark nuns who keep, think he's the antichrist
1: oh huh
2: and there's this it's and then, it's, a, it's a super funny book
0: and then Tony was your fifth book um that one about the healthy way to open up a vein <laughs> <laughs>
2: Vegan think, suicides.
0: Yeah, so far, Tony's <laughs> list has been more of a cry for help yeah. than okay. a. Uh, and <laughs> Dave
4: Brown a, is awesome. All right, let's
2: move along. All right, all right. I, I um, heartily recommend Good Omens to anybody who wants to read it. Let's move up, wow. against my better judgment, to the Seamy Valley, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where from horseback it's Bonnie Burns. Captain Crinkle, Paula's manager. How
5: are you, Bonnie? Happy New Year. Good. Well, <laughs> I hesitate to say Happy New Year because I know how fond uh, Miss Paula is of the expression. But you know, here I am in a black hole.
0: <laughs> no, you still don't understand what I was talking about with that. No, but you know I, do <laughs> I do understand it. I do understand
5: it because I looked it up after we finished the last show, and yeah. I don't exactly. No, I don't think we're living in a black hole. But yeah. Anyway. Okay. Let me just say well, you that, have um, a tendency to skim. I do. You're right. I do. <laughs> I don't I don't think any of our right. listeners
2: know what mom and dad are fighting about right now.
5: Okay. okay. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> I want to say that I think this is a really good idea and I actually when I started looking around for a book, I took this really seriously and it was hard to narrow down the choice. There were so many things. But um, I ended up with a book called The Underground Railroad by an author, American novelist named Colson Whitehead. And he is one of four authors who's won the Pulitzer Prize twice. And for this book... He won the 2016 National Book Award for Fiction, the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. It was number one on the New York Times bestseller list and long listed for a man Booker Prize, which I don't know what that means. He also was a- That's a big prize. Okay. He received the MacArthur Fellowship, which is called the Genius Grant. And the Underground Railroad is- um, Here's a little description. It's about a young slave on a cotton plantation in Georgia um, who's an outcast even among her fellow Africans. She's on the cusp of womanhood uh, where greater pain awaits. And so when Caesar, a slave who has recently arrived from Virginia, urges her to join him on the Underground Railroad, she seizes the opportunity and escapes with him.
2: Well, that sounds fantastic. So It sounds like you just... um... Spoiled the ending of the book.
3: <laughs> I, I will say that my wife, no, no. my wife, Kate's reading it right now. She says that it is indeed a remarkable book. It is deeply serious. As she said, it makes 12 years a slave look like a walk in the park.
2: Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think Bonnie <laughs> and Tony need their own book club.
0: <laughs> well, you know, my, uh, oh. all of a sudden, all of a sudden my choice seems, uh, like it lacks depth, uh,
2: what do you what do you have, Paula? Is it, um, is it is it is it one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish?
0: No, it was fifty years of T- TV guide. Is that <laughs> does that not not hold up to um, uh, the Underground Railroad book? Oh, damn it. Um, no, I mean, along Ken's lines of, uh, you know, reading a book that uh, y- you knew you wouldn't do unless you had somebody to force you, um, I, I I was thinking Moby Dick, which I own, I've never read, and frankly, I don't know how it got into the house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, Moby Dick is a good idea. My mom mm. tried to read that book, because she said it was one of her favorites, and I guess it was. She tried to read that book to us kids when we were kids, and... Uh, I think we all just got so bored we stopped after a couple of chapters. I think, but I suspect that that might be because it's a better book to read than it is to uh, have read to you because it's awfully long.
3: Well, how how old were you yeah. when she was reading *Popeye Dick* to you? It's not a book for children, really. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like an odd book to read aloud to your
2: children. I I got to tell you, I was a voracious reader as a kid. And so my mom just kept loading books on me. By the time I was in third grade, uh, for better or for worse, and I think half or worse, I'd read basically every book I was going to read in, uh, throughout high school. Mm. Um, wow. And I'll tell you, some of those books that I read in third grade, like 1984, really fucked me up a little <laughs> bit. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, guess, I never, uh, I never we... made it through Bo- M- Moby Dick.
0: Well, this could be our chance. Well. Um, you know... You know, these could all go on the list, of course, you know. It's just a matter of which one we're going to start with. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, Adam,
2: what's, um, what's yeah, and, and what's your nominee? I'm going to throw one into uh, the hopper that is one that I have been meaning to read, um, just, just like you can. Like, and I, but I think this is a much faster read than most people's. You might have heard about this. It was a big book um, last year, if you remember anything about 2020. It's called Hollywood Park, a Memoir. And it's by this guy named Michael Jollett. And the reason he appeals to me is because I started following him on, on Twitter because he was funny and insightful and very political. And so I was following him during the thing. And then I somehow realized that I was also a fan of his band. Hmm. His band is called The Airborne Toxic Event. And I, I suddenly realized that this person I knew from two very different places was uh, uh, the same guy. And his book is apparently just r- weird and riveting. I'll read you a brief description. Um Michael Jollett was born into one of the country's most infamous cults, subjected to a childhood filled with poverty, addiction, and, a, and emotional abuse. And yet ultimately, you know, he uh, managed to pull out of that. Um, uh, oh, boy.
0: Tony yeah. was with you right until the part where he pulled out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But apparently he's like a really gifted writer and 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 his uh, personal story is as good as his music or his tweeting, so uh, that that would be my suggestion uh, Hollywood Mark um,
0: so so my second choice, which is pat a bunny, doesn't seem to have any relevance here.
2: Pat the bunny? Yeah oh. <laughs> you know i have I have trouble with that because i I learned in later life that you're supposed to pat that bunny. And that his name is not Pat. <laughs> oh, Pat.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the one, it's the cardboard book with the fuzz of the money coming through from the, uh, through the cover yes. from the first page. Yeah. Um, um, yes. I'm a big believer the... in cardboard books. You know, six pages, you're done. Uh, now, let's,
2: uh, here's, what I, here's what I suggest, is that we all vote on our second choices. Hmm.
1: Ooh,
0: that, because we've we've
2: ooh, all that's... brought we've all brought something to the to the fore, and it's this is already so complicated, and and this segment has already taken two and a half hours. So <laughs> let's oh, just shit. has it. Let's oh, yeah, just... I guess
0: we are <laughs> in, <laughs> a little long.
2: No, 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 we're doing fine. But but um, my suggestion is that we uh, I, I I I will name each entry, and if that's your second choice, speak up. Okay. Okay. What sounds good? Bonnie didn't understand. <laughs>
5: No, I don't get why we don't just say now that we've heard them all. Why don't we just say the one we want? We think we'd be good. I think like he, I'll take Moby well, Dick.
3: His assumption. Well, I'm going to choose my book. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh. Okay. I'll, I I would be happy to read the Neil Gaiman book if um I can add a chapter to it where the main character offs themselves. Just <laughs> you know. To, 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 no, I no, I would be happy to read the, I, I'll read any of them, but I think uh, the Neil Gaiman book sounds good
2: to me. It is good. I've read it, but I would happily read oh. it again. I um, don't want to
0: make you read something again, but then we have to go back over your third grade list.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, I've, re- I've read Good Omens more than once, but, but not in about 15 to 20 years. I would happily do it again. All right, so let's go all over these and let's have everybody just tell me what your second choice is. Paula, your second choice is clearly Good Omens. Uh, I'll read the choices again. It's *The Bell Jar*, *The Power Broker*, *Daring Greatly*, *Good Omens*, *The Underground Railroad*, uh, *Moby Dick*, and *Hollywood Park*. Uh, Ken oh Lozembek, what's your second choice?
3: My second choice, mostly because I'd love to hear what people think as they as they read it, is *Moby Dick*, um, which I admit I have read, but it's been a while since I read it, and uh, it I just would love to hear people's thoughts.
0: Okay. Boy. Imagine being an author. I realize that he's dead, but nonetheless, imagine being an author and hearing someone say of your book, I admit I read it.
2: (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Tony Anita Hull, what's your second choice?
0: Oh, I don't know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, Tony. Go to Bonnie, go
4: to Bonnie. I'm still deciding. She's in that vulnerable
3: place. (laughs) Derek Raines. I think well, it's okay. more important to you.
4: No, I. You know what? I really want to read Good Omens, so I'm going to go with Good Omens as my second
2: choice. There we go. We the get Bell two jar for Good was Omens the, first. That of course. is cheating. That's hella cheating, Paula. We know your second choice is Good Omens. Let's go to Bonnie Burns. What's your <laughs> second choice?
5: Well, I'm going to go with Moby Dick too because I think I read it. I don't know junior high or something. I don't remember it. I think it's great to do a classic. And I also think it would be great to not do a book that Adams read already. Um, so those are my reasons. Okay, those are good She's reasons. She's also and being uh,
0: paid off by the Melville family.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sadly, this this brings me to uh, we've got a two to two tie here, and I'm the Uh-oh. last vote. Uh oh. Uh, I got to tell you I would love to read Good Omens again but I'm going to go with um with Bonnie's reasoning in that I've read it already and I, I think I think Tony's going to read it on her own anyway. Um so I'm going to go with Moby Dick. Paula suggested Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Let's read Moby Yay. Dick. Oh boy. Yay.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, we've got a book club, everybody. That's uh, that's really amazing. And I hope that Joe you know Favreau
0: from, uh, from Pod Save America is planning on joining us to read Moby
2: Dick. <laughs> I, really, I really didn't think it would come to this, but here we are with Moby Dick. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's just so relevant to our modern age. I can't wait to to spend podcast after podcast talking about what what Baleen is. But here we go. <laughs> you guys know that he does devote entire chapters to describing whales
0: the the oceans are rising so it's going to become more and more
3: relevant as time goes on so i think that's good you'll you'll be quite surprised i think it's amazingly relevant still issues of race issues of uh you know uh individuality it 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 may surprise you all right i'm looking forward to it here we go. All right, now Paula Moby Dick is full of words,
2: and so are you. Oh my gosh! What, what a, a coincidence! Transition. That was good. Uh,
0: by the way, that's what my I resolved dogs, to do
2: in this new year.
0: My dogs are apparently taking uh, Adam's wife's dance class because I can hear their toenails clicking all over my wood wood floor here. Uh, nothing God's I can do about it. it. They're, they're just dogs. Um, so for all of our listeners who have resolved to improve their vocabulary this year, and, and Happy New Year again. Uh, what a fabulous year it's been so far. Uh, listen up, because <laughs> here's my word. <laughs> uh, it is inscrutable. It's an adjective that means impossible to understand or interpret. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. Every time I click on submit the inscrutable online form pops back up again. Uh let's put this right into the vocabulary song. Uh hold on, I got to find my uh I got to find my Glock. You got to find sh- your yeah. axe.
2: Did you get a new gosh. Glock for the new year? Uh,
0: I, di- I, I, I didn't. I'm using last year's Glock which what a... Uh, yeah. Um This is the only thing that's the same from last year. Trust me. Um, Well,
2: it'll be nostalgia for those of us who remember last year.
0: It will be. It really will be. Hold on here. Uh, I forget the song. There we go. Uh, All right. Uh, This... This week's word is inscrutable. It's an adjective that means impossible to understand or interpret. Lindsey Graham says stuff I just don't get. Last week's word was garrulity. It's a noun that means excessive talkativeness, especially on trivial matters. I have nine cats. I used to have 16. For a while I had 11. They all left my furniture in tatters. Now I just have an Adirondack chair because it won't collect hair or pee. The week before that, the word was insalubrious. It's an adjective that means seedy or squalid. Not well kept or clean. I should have mopped up after my cesarean. (laughs) Going back before that, the word was fi. It's an exclamation used to express disgust or outrage. Fie! How can Donald Trump be still on the stage? Fie! And not long ago we had Putinesca. <laughs> it's a noun that means pasta sauce made with tomatoes, garlic, olives, anchovies, etc. Said to have been devised by prostitutes as one which could be quickly cooked between clients' visits. Quick, make the sauce and get back to the toss. That's Putineska. Let's never forget Gallimard Free. <laughs> which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused, jumbler, medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do.
2: All right, Ooh, boy. I'm, you know, oh, bravo. I tell you, Paula, your uh, your delivery gets more rabbinical every week with that song. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, uh, well, there's something about 2021 that has just put—I I don't know—more soul uh, behind Mike Locke performance. I think.
2: Yeah. It's well, I think it's, it's, it's almost, age and wisdom. It's almost new. You know, well, it's 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 like a new thing. You're wiser too. You know I, that's one thing we haven't mentioned. Uh, I want to say qu- uh, quickly, Paula, happy birthday. You had a, you suffered a birthday over the holidays. I did.
0: I, for, I do. You I, feel I, different? I, totally different.
2: <laughs> oh my well, gosh! I wanna, <laughs> I, I, now I don't want you to answer now, Paula, but I want to preview something for our listeners, which is that I missed your birthday, and I feel just terrible about it, and so. I'm going to grant you one birthday wish from me. Now, don't don't answer this week. You can think about it for a while. Just think of a birthday wish. It's from me to you. Okay, anything I want? Anything you want. Well, anything that it is my power to give you. Oh, okay. All right. All right. (laughs) All right, so there there it is. I just laid that on the table. You know, when British Air Chief Marshal Harris... Objected to a strategic change recommended by statisticians, he asked Winston Churchill, are we fighting this war with weapons or the slide rule? Churchill replied, that's a good idea. Let's try the slide rule. Coming up, the intersection of science and warfare. That's next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone.
0: I know it seems impossible to believe now, but a more corrupt president will come along and people will miss you.
2: (laughs) Thank you, House band Casey Bozell. Paula, our guest wrote a book you loved and then you found her on Twitter. I did. I did. Finally,
0: Twitter has a use other than just sucking my life away. Um, yeah, I, uh, I loved, well, love, uh, the book Grunt by Mary Roach. And I bought it thinking that it was something entirely different than what it turned out to be. And I love what it turned out to be.
2: Um, you thought it so, was about cavemen?
0: No, I thought it was about why someone joins the service. I thought it was about the mentality of service members. Um, it's not. And, okay. uh. And by the way, it had a fantastic uh, cover, and that's part of what drew me in. But anyways, and then as it happened, um, I found her on Twitter. And so I contacted her and asked her if she would come on. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. And that brings you right up to the minute.
2: Yep, it brings us right to where we are now. And let's dive into a discussion here uh, with that very author. Mary Roach is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Stiff, The Curious Life of Human Cadavers, Gulp. Adventures on the Elementary Canal, Packing for Mars, The Curious Science of Life in the Void, and Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex. She serves as a member of the Mars Institute's Advisory Board and the Usage Panel of American Heritage Dictionary, and of course, she wrote Grunt, The Curious Science of Humans at War. Please welcome Mary Roach. Mary, welcome.
0: Thank you. (laughs) So, Mary... Um, I, I not only loved grunt, but I, I read it. And then more recently I've listened to it twice. Um, and, uh, and so what
6: drew you to writing about the science of warfare? Uh, I was reporting a story in, in India on the world's hottest chili peppers as one does. Of course. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) In my reporting, I learned that the uh, Indian Defense Ministry, they had a science branch, like a military science lab in Assam, in that state, where they had taken these peppers and they had made non-lethal weapons with them. So I went over there and I was reporting on that. And I was sort of looking around this lab and I'm like, what else are you guys doing? And this guy goes, well, we're, we're testing a leech repellent. And he oh. said it in an Indian accent, but I'm not going to do that. And I, and I was like, leech repellent? Wow. You know, and it occurred to me that military science is maybe not what I thought it was, that it might be a little more interesting and weird. And so, uh, that's sort of how the ball got rolling. It's really weird. It's really weird. And it really, uh, yeah, I thought military science was all like how to kill people better and how to, you know, defense, like to defense department strategy stuff. Um, weapon design, that kind of thing, which also exists, but there's this whole branch of uh, military science dedicated, in fact, paradoxically, to keeping people alive, because you throw people into these extreme circumstances, like extreme heat, and extreme stress, and extreme somebody is shooting you, and extreme, uh, you know, in a submarine, you know, you're down at depth, and if something happens, and you try to escape extreme pressure, just, there's just a lot of stuff that normal human beings don't have to deal with, and the military needs to keep their soldiers alive. And so there's all this research that goes on, and and the military has tons of money, so they have these elaborate laboratories. And for me, any opportunity to step into some really bizarre world that I know nothing about just kind of floats my boat.
0: And all the individual topics, like, of each chapter were, I mean, they were all weird. Um, uh, And I imagine there was a lot that you that you didn't write, like what didn't, what did, what, what I'm trying to say, Marianne, you know, we're yeah. starting a book club. Um, uh, what, how did you choose the topics within the
6: science of the uh, warfare? Just what seemed really interesting to me. I mean, the weirdness of it possibly has something to do with me. <laughs> um, but Mary, as long as we as yeah. long as we're on that topic, let's give our listeners a bonus.
2: What's the weirdest shit that you didn't include in the book?
6: If it was weird shit, I included it in the book. I have the maggots <laughs> in the book. I had I watched a they call it a wet run of a penis transplant using two cadavers. I mean that's just right up my alley. And How it was, was that really, military? This was the yeah because uh, uh, IEDs those bombs roadway bombs are so big now that you know an old landmine would blow off your foot. Uh, maybe the top part of your calf, but now they're so big that there's a lot of genital injuries. Sorry to say this, men. Uh, So the military uh, invests a fair amount of money in um, repairing urethras and penises and also, uh, um, you know, um, reproductive stuff. And they were working on a penis transplant using, uh, they were, you know, working it out using cadavers. So there was two guys one, uh, then never mind. Anyway, there's two guys, and they were, <laughs> <laughs> It uh, doesn't matter. The one guy, they were, they were taking one guy's off and, and stitching you know, it onto the, well, they were doing sort of figuring out what veins do we need to reconnect so
1: that oh, okay. the
6: whole blue area is perfused with blood. So they were, they were, um, it, and since they're dead, they had to like hook up a, a bottle of blue dye water with blue dye, and then let that go in. they like the the area would turn blue. They're like, oh, that's an important vein to hook up. But anyway, uh, pretty surreal. Wow!
2: And, and I, I just want to tell our listeners: if I ever have to fight a war, and I hope I don't, and uh, you're next to me, and 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 your penis gets blown off, I'm not going to be your donor.
6: <laughs> you see, this was the problem. It didn't. It, it took a long time for the first real one to happen. Uh. Because they didn't, they they took a long time to find a donor. It's a difficult thing to ask a family of a a recently deceased loved one, can we have his dick? (laughs) (laughs) But, Um, but you know, you're, you're the whole, I loved
0: the people that you talked to about it in the, in the book. Um, I loved that there was, um, uh, tell them about the soldier. Tell them what the soldier said who had had, what was it, thirty six or thirty nine um, uh, surgeries on on his yeah. penis? And tell them what he said afterwards.
6: Uh you know, Paula, you've just listened to the book, and okay, I wrote I'll it about tell you. Years ago, <laughs> I'm so you're going to have to tell I'll the tell listeners you. what that man said. Let me guess. Wait, he said something like, um, "They put something about they didn't tell me how to use it." Right. Was that? That's
0: exactly right.
6: Yeah. He said, I've had, yeah. I, I can't remember if it's 36
0: or 30, right? Yeah, but say yeah. 30, I've said 36 uh, 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 surgeries yeah. on my penis and no one has told me how to use it. Exactly. What does that, that even it, mean? It I'll means because, it, because, it, because it's not, it, he, they don't just oh, re- replace oh, yeah. it. No, you you tell him. I'm sorry, Mary. Go ahead. You tell him. <laughs> you go ahead. No, no, this is, I, I feel that we're interviewing you. I just forgot for a second. <laughs>
6: okay. Well, uh, but you've read the book more recently. I just wrote the damn thing. Uh, uh, what he meant by that was that um, although technically the guys at Walter Reed, the, the surgeons, they're really good at what they do. There's no, there's no sex therapist on staff. So you have, and it's not just men who had injuries to their penis. It's men who have um, erectile difficulties cause they're on painkillers. There's certain drugs that you know that they're on for various other reasons that affect their ability to get an erection. Nobody talks to them about it. Nobody talks to a guy who's missing one le- leg all the way, half a leg and both his hands. It, it, like here's some positions that might work for you. Nobody wants to have that conversation cause it's the military and people are like a little uncomfortable with it. And there's this woman and we're gonna have to ask Paula for her name because I don't remember her name. <laughs> I feel terrible. I don't remember her name, but she was such a dynamo. She was so great. She's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start. I'm going to get people to do this, to come in, and, and we're going to uh, have groups, and we're going to have therapy, and we're going to talk about it. Somebody wrote this book. I still have the book, not right in front of me, but it's just basically um, il- an illustrated guide to s- sex for people who are missing various parts, not just wow. the penis. Well, yeah. I, know,
2: I know that there are women all over this country and this world who will tell you that there are plenty of men who who haven't had multiple surgeries who don't know how to use their penises.
6: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there was, yeah. There was, um, there was one, I love this, Paula, the, 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 uh, the, the guy, the, that was her. She goes to someone way up at the Department of Defense and is trying to get funding. And the guy says, well, honestly, I don't know what kind of sex the guy'd be having if he doesn't have a penis. And she's like, have oh. you ever heard of tongue, general? <laughs> yeah, she said,
0: yeah, do these men have tongues, and can they be taught? That's what she said there you go
5: <laughs> um, really and
0: And the truth is there were there were lots of sexual options uh for yeah. these people, but they it just wasn't stuff that they talked about. One of the um chapters, I think the one that really hooked me uh was the one where they were using the corpses as crash test dummies
6: oh well, what they yeah they they were actually the corpses the cadavers uh or donors as they like to say the donors the cadavers were being used to design a new crash test dummy specifically for vehicles that drive over exploding bombs because you can't use an existing crash like f- existing crash test dummies are either for front crash frontal crashes or T-bone, like side crashes. There's nothing for a giant blast is going to come right up under your feet and ass. There's no crash test dummy for that. So they were designing one. And in order to calibrate the dummy so they could then test the vehicles to see if they're safe, they needed, uh, you know, like 10 cadavers, I don't know, however many they were. And then they set them up on a platform and they had an, you know, sort of a, it wasn't, they didn't have the vehicle up there. They had a seat. It's similar to the vehicle. And then they brought in some C4, I think it was, the explosive. They set it off and they filmed the whole thing. The cadaver is wired up so they know uh, how much force it was. And then they do an autopsy and they see what kind of damage it was. So they're, um, And wow. they stopped it, right? Didn't they were just well, about after, to do their thing and it got called yeah, off? Yeah. Somebody, someone was, somebody was like, hey, oh, my God, the military is blowing up bodies, which... <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you see the video, What it looks like your grandma was sitting in the back seat and you took a bump too hard. It's like, whoop, boom. Yeah, you know, Well, not until you, because it happens really fast. It's a bomb. Boom. Uh, nothing blows apart. Nothing, the skin doesn't break or anything. It's like um, your heel bone gets smashed. Your spine gets out of whack. I mean, it's that kind of injury. So nobody's, blo- nobody's getting blown to bits. Oh,
0: did you say that in the book? Because I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it's all just happens internally.
6: Yeah, exactly. It's wow. it's a it's a lot of um um musculoskeletal damage. It's not it's a, not because uh, uh, you're you're you know you're in this massive vehicle. It's pretty good at protecting you. But they but they found that guys were having like their heel bone was getting smashed. It's really hard to fix a heel. It's this complicated thing. Uh, and they're getting spinal stuff because uh, the blast. They they were because they used to sit on a seat. Now they have bench is designed so that it takes some of the energy of the blast so it doesn't go right up your spine. Um, so anyway, they weren't... No, they weren't... They're not blowing them up. It does sound that way. I could see why you would think that. There is a big pile of explosives that they set off under... <laughs> yeah.
2: That. That was... yeah, I wonder, wonder why she'd think that there was blowing up when there's C4 charges under its seat.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess... Yeah. I mean, what I was struck by was how how much care there, there was in the military or somebody who had complained, right?
6: For the corpse. Well, some, yeah, which it's interesting. Um, And what somebody there, the point that somebody there made was, I wish that we cared as much about soldiers who are alive as we seem to care about the dead. I mean, it's nice to be respectful for the dead, but if somebody donates their body, they want it to be used for this. Is they want it to be put to use, and um, the wonderful gift that dead people give us is that they don't feel any pain. They're like, "Sure, give me that C four, bring it on. I don't care." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's but it's, yeah, yeah, people people got really worked up about it. It went so now, if the military uses a cadaver in any kind of a um, impact test whether it's automotive or a bomb they've got levels of permission all the way up to congress even if the person gave then they have to go back and get double consent from the family
2: that's so strange yeah
6: it it, it is
0: it is a very strange um priority uh you know i'm not in the military obviously but let me just say uh here and now uh whatever um you, you can use my body to prop up a table for all i care Um, Yeah, I I, want
2: to. I want to echo that. Yes, absolutely. I
0: I mean, I'd I'd like it to be used in a in a heroic way. You can use me. I can. Can I sign up to be a cadaver uh, in
6: some of those experiments, Mary? Uh, You can. You can sign up uh, if you if you live around Aberdeen Proving Ground. You have a better shot at it. Uh, If you're. I'll move Uh, if I have to.
2: Well, you know, 19th century author Samuel Butler wrote, A skillful leech is better far than half a hundred men at war. Well, he, he just wasn't good at rhyming. Stay tuned to find out more about unexpected things that help men at war. We'll be right back. The Cat of the Week is OJ from Rancho Cucamonga, California. with Mary Roach talking about grunt. Now Ma- Mary, let me let me get to a couple of things that I kind of previewed up at the top of this show because I'm sure our, our listeners are on tenterhooks, which is a very uncomfortable position to be in. Oh, um yeah. talk to me about maggots.
6: <laughs> okay, maggots. Well, the maggot is a baby fly and flies are militarily interesting because they are both the enemy and the friend and I will tell you how. Okay, flies flies okay go but going back to the 1800s and before um flies and the diseases that they caused food poisoning um killed way more people than guns did and guns and bombs way more like seven to one in the mexican-american war i maybe get getting the title that wrong anyway a war down there uh because and here's the situation here is the situation battlefield uh uh mess tent not screened just you know open flaps everything flies coming in and out big pot of beans say okay flies can land on the food and where have those flies been over at the open pit latrine because there that's what was used just a pit and like a sort of a railing. oh man th- hung your ass over it and you crapped and so the flies are going so you get, got one guy who's sick the fly lands on there picks up bacteria flies to the mess tent, lands on the food. Now the food is infected, not refrigerated. So the bacteria multiply and multiply and multiply all day. And then it's time to feed the troops. And they all come and they get a dose of that bacteria. And and now it's dysentery central. Everybody's sick. People are dying like crazy of dehydration. And so- Yikes. Yeah. So flies were the- it took a while to figure out that- Uh, it was the flies that was the, you know, the link between the, the, you know, the sick guy, the bathroom and the mess hall. Somebody saw, uh, they saw uh, this stuff lime on the feet of the flies that they knew that that's where they were picking it up. And they saw some of that on the food and they're like, Hey, the flies are going from, I think they would put lime over the, you know, the pit toilet to reduce the stink or it could have been the piles of bodies. Uh, But anyway, Flies are going from the filth over to the food, and uh, so uh, the biggest contributor to um, preventing food poisoning in the military was air conditioning, because now you could shut the door, you could have a sealed mess hall, so no flies get in. So this, what I've just talked about, that's the fly as enemy, and to the extent that in World War II, they had fly control units, these guys going around with fly swatters, had to kill a quota of 50 flies a day. I like that detail. Okay, moving on. Huh. Moving on. Now, uh, so, actually, it was in World War I. It was somebody first figured this out. Uh, there were um, injured soldiers coming in to be treated, coming in from the field with these massive, you know, wounds. Uh, uh, and the, this doctor um, noticed that, the wounds were infested with maggots, and of course, the people, were, the nurses were like, "Oh, ah, get yeah. oh disgusting. So am disgusting!" And he, sorry, he noticed that once you took away the maggots, that the wounds were actually they weren't infected. There was this fresh, new-growing flesh. Um, they were healing well. He's like, "Hmm, that's kind of uh, interesting." And he did some experiments, and actually uh, went on to treat some. Um, children who had a certain kind of injury that wasn't healing. I don't know how they got the parents to sign on for that, but anyway, it worked. So maggots, fast forward to today, maggots are a FDA approved medical device. I can tell you the Medicare reimbursement code for the maggot. It's actually a little cage bandage that you put on if you have a wound that's not healing. Sometimes diabetics have foot ulcers that Mm -hmm. are not healing and um, they'll put this, it's a little, it's a bandage, but it has a little mesh. How does that work? Little, you put this, it's a little uh, um, home for the maggots. It's got oh, no, mesh. I, I get
2: that. I, I have plenty oh. of maggot homes on my skin. But uh, how does the healing, how do they end up curing you oh, or healing do they, do they, you?
0: They don't they eat, they, eat the they,
6: dead skin? Is that it? Yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you answer.
6: Silly skin. me. They don't want like live, they don't like live skin. They only want the dead skin. They also maybe secrete something antibacterial they may possibly their secretions are helping as well to prevent infection but they're but they're doing what's called either debridement or debridement people corrected me both ways when i was on book tour i don't know how you say it but that's like an important thing with a wound you want to get rid of the rotting
2: the
0: necrotized
6: uh, flesh yeah necrotized there you go i had a um my my bunny
0: softy Uh, one day I went out to move him from his, uh, area where I let him hop around back into his hutch and I picked him up and, uh, he had an injury. And when I looked carefully at it, um, it was, uh, teeming with maggots. And of course I was repulsed. I took it to the vet. He was overjoyed. He goes, well, that's good. Yeah. Came as a shock to softy. I'll
6: tell you that. Um, well, see, I love that your rabbit is named Softy.
0: It was, you know, it was a rare occasion on which I let the children name a pet. Um, I, I after Softy, I took over naming again because I said you guys are going to go away to college, and I'm going to be, you know, stuck with a cat named Puffy. So uh, I really had to step in, but I kind of yeah, did like
2: you did what you had to do.
0: Softy was a, a great name, and and um, my my daughter Twinkles uh, named. Him. <laughs>
2: all right how about chickens mary why are we and i think i i think i might understand this but why are we firing chickens at jet engines
6: oh the chicken gun i had to work the chicken gun in there you know the reason okay the chicken gun it does it fires chickens, supermarket chickens and uh the, the the reason that it's this gun exists is it's for testing airplanes to make sure if they have a bird strike like if you hit a Canada goose or a, or whatever bird it is, uh, then it's not going to smash the windshield or go into the engine and and incapacitate the engine. So to test airplane parts for safety, they are invented this thing called the chicken gun. So they just as a as a standardized thing to fire because they could be like, well, we have to try a duck, we have to try a goose, we have to. And they just are like, to hell with that. We're just going to get a supermarket chicken. It's easier. It's Better for the ducks, it's cheaper. We're going to use chickens. So it fires chickens at whatever part, like the windscreen or whatever you want. I love that. And it's the chicken gun. And I didn't really have a lot to say about it, but I had to get it in there because it's a chicken gun. And I sort of start the book that way, just sort of saying, okay, this is the only gun that's going to be in the book. If you want a book about guns and bombs, this is not your book. Go away. So that's kind of the why, why and how the chicken gum gun ended up in Grunt. Yeah, I I
0: would be so ashamed to be held up by a chicken gun. Um, <laughs> a humiliating that crime. Um, so uh, what was your favorite chapter? What was your favorite thing to learn about?
6: Uh, I had to I had to say that the the, um, the Penis transplant chapter just because how many times in a gal's life does she get to witness a run-through of a penis transplant in a cadaver lab? Really interesting. Well, super interesting. I'm only one woman, um, but I'm going to say
0: <laughs> never. I've never seen uh, that.
2: And and, and speaking <laughs> for, as a man, I've seen very few uh, penis transplants. <laughs> I'm going to say none.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there there you go. I mean... <laughs> You you would never have like a vagina transplant, right? That would just not be necessary.
6: You wouldn't have a but you could have maybe like an ovary. No, you can't do that either. You don't and uh no no uh, gonad transplants cuz that's all like, ooh, you're taking somebody's genetic material and putting it someone. That's a right. whole Right. That gets complicated you know, legally. Exactly. Yeah, And biologically.
2: That's internal yeah. stuff.
6: Um, yeah, and with a woman's internal with a woman's reproductive organs, the thinking was because I asked about this. Um, they're 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 situated in a place where if they've been blown up, she's a goner. Oh right, I mean, that, she,
0: she she would be fast. dead if she if, she if you got hit. Okay, got you because because we don't have stuff dangling. Um, that's
6: we don't have danglers. Yeah, no.
0: that's one of the <laughs> right. that's one of the Good perks really of being a woman is that you don't have any kind of danglies, um, nothing <laughs> of hanging down catching on. You know what I really want to. Um, for, for, for those who are going to put grunt uh, on their book club list, um, there's, a, there's a funny heart to this book. Um, I, I think it resides somewhere in the conflict between trying to kill people and trying to keep people alive. And Mary, when you decided to take on this as a, as a writing project, did you know that going into it um, or did that evolve in, in your research?
6: I did kind of know that going into it uh, because the first place that I went to report the book was the military's. Um, they have a morgue in Dover uh, where anybody who's killed overseas comes for an autopsy and they, you know, they leave the protective gear on so they can try to see what went wrong. How could we maybe have saved this person? Uh, was the intubation done right, etc like what what lessons can we learn from this death but but the people who do the autopsies, these guys, these doctors have seen so so many young people killed and um, they hate it and they are in the military but they are no fans of war and um, it was really moving to spend time, with them and to have to be there while they were doing their work. Um, So that having, when I went there, I knew this would be the last chapter of the book Mm. because I wanted to end on a a note about that, that, yeah, the military has gotten better at at saving lives and a lot of amazing things have been developed to save lives. But ultimately you're trying to keep soldiers alive to win a war. You know, it's a strategy, right? It's a defense department strategy. You can't win a war if you have no soldiers. But on the ground level, these people, these men and women, and not just in that chapter, but all of the book, um, the people who do that work don't do it from that viewpoint of let's keep them alive to win the war. They do it because these are young people and they're someone's kids and fuck, they're dying, you know? Mm Wow. Wow.
0: Yeah. You really beautifully wow. you really beautifully told that story. And when uh each chapter that I read and the characters that you introduced, they were uh there was a yeah. heroic uh flavor to their to their work and you did a really good job um telling that.
6: Oh well, th- well thank you. Thanks. I yeah. I sometimes I would do readings and I would like choke up. I'm like, uh oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, Mary, thank you for shedding light on how science paradoxically preserves life in an encounter meant to end it. Um, And now we're going to take that information you gave us and run it through the old pounce Donator. Paula? All right, Casey,
0: if I can get a little background music on that violin, I'll tell you what the pounce Donator spit out. Mary Roach has a library list of books to her writing credit. Her research includes a good deal of experiential reporting. Her well-known titles include, of course, Gulp, Adventures on the Alimentary Canal, and Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers, which nearly killed her. Her earlier work, Bust, The Curious Science of Law Enforcement, wherein Mary gets permission from a police chief to bring down a major drug cartel, didn't get the attention it deserved, but did cause her to go into hiding for several years, during which time she wrote her lesser-known titles: Stick, the curious science of adhesive strips, Spit, the Curious Science of Rotisserie Chicken, Hurl, the Curious Science of Losing Your Lunch. That, the curious science of what someone else thinks you shouldn't wear. And done, the curious science of completion. <laughs>
2: She's the author of *Grunt: The Curious Science of Humans at War*. Thank you so much for being here with us, Mary Roach, everybody.
0: Woo! Mary Roach, my new best friend. Uh, This has really been wonderful. Thank you so so much. Uh, Oh, you
6: guys, I loved it. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. All right, thanks, guys.
2: Coming up: Tales of the Ants. Nobody's have sent us stories about our favorite relatives, the anties. That's coming up after this. Fun fact, North Korea is one of only two countries on the planet that don't have Coca-Cola. So, if you end up spending years wasting away in a brutal Pyongyang prison camp, I hope you like Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) Now join the French Trump Weekly Friday press conference in progress. Thank you, Mr. President. Jimmy Tingle with the Boston accent. Mr. President, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that he is open to your impeachment. A number of your cabinet members have resigned, citing your involvement in instigating the attack on the Capitol. You've put out videos where you are very clearly reading someone else's words from a teleprompter. People are referring to those as hostage videos. Some news outlets are actually reporting that you are feeling isolated. Are you feeling isolated, sir?
0: Fuck those news outlets, and fuck you too, Jimmy Tingley, you enemy of the people. Those cabinet members were never on my side. I just threw them some crumbs. Imagine fucking Betsy DeVos resigning on moral grounds. Do you know that her name is actually Betsy Voss? The D stands for her school grade average. And Mitch McConnell's wife, Chow Chow, she doesn't have a moral bone in her body. She's married to Mitch McConnell for Christ's sakes. That's why I chose these assholes. They are corrupt as the year 2020 was long. I chose them so that when I cheated, built the taxpayer for money and tried to amass more power for myself, they would not say anything. I am not isolated, you fuckwad. Why, just last night, Toby Keith stopped by to visit moi. Next question! Next question!
1: Mr. Mr. President. Mr. President. Here? President, President,
2: Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Emmett Manning from New York Newsday. Mr. President, the Washington Post is reporting that your daughter, Ivanka, and her husband, Jared Kushner... Did not allow the Secret Service detail that protects them to use any of the half dozen bathrooms in their Washington, D.C. home. Therefore, the Secret Service has been forced to rent a $3,000 a month basement apartment nearby at taxpayer expense.
0: Expense? I like the sound of that. I should have appointed Ivanka Vice President. She never has flies on her head. Flies don't like that speckle shit she uses on her face. Did I ever tell you about the time I got stuck to her face?
2: And we're back. Uh, you know, a little while back, we invited uh, Noboys to share stories about their aunts. And we didn't realize what a vein we struck, Paula. A rich vein, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, everybody had some great anti stories. In fact, we, we were only able to tell a few, and we got, I, I think Tony and Hulk Hulkin backed me up. We got over a 100. We got hundreds of stories.
4: Hundreds.
2: Thank you, Tony, for backing she, me up with such she alacrity. She did.
0: She backed you up, man. She had <laughs> she, your back on that. Yeah. That was, that was, she's so, so loyal.
2: We're going uh, to make this a regular thing because even though we might run out of anti stories, um, Clearly, you guys are not going to. Paula, do you have anyone that you want to share or anybody else around the well, table? I
0: can't remember. I can't remember if I told you this before, but you know, I have an Aunt
2: Stormy. An Aunt Stormy? Yeah. So do you have an aunt story yeah. about Aunt Stormy? Yeah, she fucks the president. One?
0: <laughs> oh, Aunt Stormy, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's a well-known story. No, I do have an Aunt Stormy. I don't think it's the same one. But maybe maybe the story of my aunt and the president just hasn't come out yet. That's possible.
2: Totally possible. I have one that's not mine, but I like it so much I thought I'd tell it, which is that my friend Ken, who grew up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, had a— had a great aunt come live at his house. Uh, She wasn't well. I guess her mind was not uh, doing as great as it used to. And she came and lived at his house in in, in, uh, Bay Ridge uh, when he was a kid. And one day he walked into the kitchen and saw her sitting on the steps leading to the basement in the kitchen. Um, And she was eating mustard out of the jar with a spoon. And for Ken, that became a really touching moment because he thought, wow, this is amazing. I never knew that. This must be some kind of old world tradition. Here I am. I didn't think I had much to learn from this lady, and I'm witnessing something kind of sweet. I never knew people who did this. And he, he was kind of enjoying the, 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 the poignancy of the moment when she turned at h- and looked at him with bleary eyes and said, you know what? It's not so good, plain. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's that's my aunt's story and it's not mine it's Ken's and Ken if you're out there listening uh I hope I told I hope I did it justice uh anybody else uh,
0: by the way by the way for those who are wondering where Ken Lizebnik went he he just joined us to talk about the book club and then he left I think he's getting a jump on uh Moby Dick
2: um, yeah, that's probably he right. He
0: says that he, he says he had to go because he's in Brooklyn and it's later there, but he's not in Brooklyn. He's in L.A. It's weird.
2: He's, he's, he's in the little Brooklyn neighborhood of L.A. Um, yeah. I got to tell you, during during our commercial break, I went ahead and got myself a copy of Moby Dick because it's in you the did. public domain. Yeah, because it's in the public domain, I just instantly downloaded it for free onto my uh, the books app on my uh, iPad. Hmm. And you so, got started. I got started. I'm one paragraph in. The, the protagonist's name is Ishmael, and it's in the first person. All right, that's cheating.
0: Um, All right, do we have another aunt story?
2: Well, if nobody else has one, then Tony Anita Hull step up and read some of our nobody's auntie stories.
4: I have an, I have an aunt story. I don't <laughs> you tell it. Oh, good. Sorry, I thought Bonnie was going to chime in, so I was just referring no, to her first. Nobody
5: got along in my family. Okay, Tony. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay. Uh so my aunt Cindy was an actress back in the day, and she was on The Monkees, which I loved the Monkeys, and had the biggest crush on Davy Jones. And oh, in the episode I she's in. Really,
0: she, I could really see you being a monkeys fan, by the way, I of that show the and monkeys. everything.
4: Oh, I love him. Um, So she was on an episode and she kissed Davy Jones and she said she'd never been French kissed before, and that was the first time someone wait she kissed Davy Jones on an
2: episode. Oh my God! Yes,
4: yeah. So it was the first time she'd been French kissed. She said, Um, because I guess Davy stuck yeah his tongue in her mouth, and I didn't talk to her for a year. After I saw that episode, because I had such a crush on Davy Jones and I felt so betrayed.
0: Yeah, he cheated on you. That's for sure. Um, Tony, wait a minute. So she was on an episode and the episode, you know, the script required Davy Jones to kiss her. Is that correct? That is correct. And instead of just a little peck on the cheek. Now, let me get this correct. Davy's not French, is he? No. No. I I okay. don't think he is. All right. So there's no excuse for this behavior. So instead of just a little innocent peck on the cheek, he actually went on an exploratory mission. Yes, he yeah. did.
4: He did. I love wow. this
2: story because um, because not only is it, uh, by today's standards, technically sexual assault, but you're jealous of that assault. <laughs>
4: It has been a lonely, sad 10 months. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: know,
2: I know,
5: Tony.
4: (laughs) And uh, this is the other weird part of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Is that she played um, a a Mexican woman, and we are not Mexican. So that was offensive in retrospect. (laughs) Interesting.
2: So those are two things that couldn't happen nowadays. (laughs) A white woman playing a Mexican woman and Davy Jones slipping you the tongue. I wonder if she knew my Aunt Frida. She might have known my Aunt Frida, who was an actress around the same time. Um, And I told the story about Frida falling through her kitchen uh, the last time we did this thing. But Frida was actually on an episode of The Honeymooners.
0: Oh, wow. No, as it turns out... My aunts were talentless slobs. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: All right, well, Tony, the, what about there our There was listeners? the one who fucked Trump and that was it.
2: <laughs> well, that's a talent. I don't know if I could get through that.
0: Yeah, boy, she longed for David Jones.
2: <laughs> yeah. T- Tony, what else David. we got? Le- read us some listeners' uh, aunt stories.
4: Yeah, so we'll get to our nobodies. So Sandy Remmers Hofstadter wrote in, One day years ago, I walked into my aunt's kitchen and saw her flapping her arms furiously. When I asked her what she was doing, she said, I thought that maybe, just maybe, if I flapped hard enough that I could fly. In all other respects, she is a perfectly sane woman that I love very, very
0: much. Boy, I am on Sandy's aunt's side on this. You know, really, flying would be it, flying would be so cool that it's worth every so often just checking it out.
2: You know, <laughs> to, I'm on the completely other side of this, Paula. I, oh, think, gosh, I think I think, despite what Sandy says, if you are standing in the kitchen flapping your arms trying to fly, um, you're not in all other respects perfectly sane. No, I disagree. I think every
0: now and then, um, although I can't wiggle my nose by myself, I will move it back and forth with my hand, um, just to see uh, if the you know if the thing in bewitched could be true. I, I you know it's worth a shot. It's a few seconds out of your day. I mean, if she said she sat in the kitchen doing that for hours on end. And, and didn't, like, bathe, then I'd say you're in trouble. But I think just to check it out, nothing wrong in that. No shame in that.
2: I guess I guess not. All right, Tony, keep, keep, keep us going. Give us another one.
4: We've got from Mary Krakow. Um, Auntie Mame. Mame. It wasn't Auntie Mame. Hold on. Let me try that again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Auntie May bought Playboy for her grandsons because she thought it was a children's magazine. Play (laughs) plus boy makes sense, right?
2: Wow. I love that. Yeah. I I, I, kind of want to know what happened as a result of that. In in fact, I'm not even sure that I can believe that. Paula, do you believe that story? I do. I do. Um, I mean... I mean, it's not like Playboy had covers that made it look like it was for kids.
0: No, you know what, though? One time I picked up Erection Weekly and it turned out um, I thought it was like something about construction, you know. Oh, right. And And, you love architecture. uh, It isn't. I I love architecture, yeah, and it turned out it isn't. So I can see making that mistake. Play and boy, sure. Yeah.
2: I I personally I, I, love I, the idea of a of a of a girly mag called Erection Weekly.
0: Uh, Erection Weekly? You mean you've yeah. not seen that magazine?
2: No, I haven't. I, I guess I've led oh. a very sheltered life.
0: <laughs> yeah, I used to work in a bookstore, so I saw a lot of stuff. I saw I saw things I shouldn't have seen. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs>
4: There is a find the Playboy Bunny on every cover of the magazine. There's a Playboy Bunny hidden.
2: Yes, but almost every cover of Playboy magazine (laughs) has has a a sexy model and, and lots of article titles that are really not, you know, highlights friendly.
0: Give me an example.
2: I, I don't know. I don't have any wait yes, I'll look under my bed and see what see, look at my old playboys well, no, I, Playboy. what I, was I say, don't have anything no, handy. I've been
0: I've been to your house just there beside the beside the couch. There's a big stack. Just take
2: one <laughs> off there. My, my giant stack of Playboy magazines.
0: <laughs> yeah. We had neighbors that the the dad had like a stack of Playboy magazines and we were just, it was it was scandal to us.
2: But you you'd look at them.
0: No, we just knew they were there. Maybe it was even more like a Boo Radley thing. Maybe we were just told they were there. I, I don't know. Wow. Somebody in the neighborhood said they had seen them. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, 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 was in, I was in Playboy once. I, I was in Playboy once, just so you know. Yes, I was.
2: What were you doing in it?
0: I wasn't doing anything. It was a photograph.
2: Oh. What kind of photograph?
0: It's not, this That's isn't what? Harry Potter. They don't move. I wasn't having an activity. It's just a wait, photograph. Wait, wait.
2: What I'm saying is you weren't posing uh, uh, semi-clothed or unclothed for Playboy magazine. There was probably an article about comedian Paula Poundstone or a news item, right?
0: There was. There was an article about comedian Paula Poundstone. And I had clothes on, but only because I thought it was more tantalizing.
2: I'm sure you're right. Tony, let's have the next yeah. story.
0: <laughs> it makes people wonder what's, on, what's underneath those several layers of clothing. And I think that's very tantalizing.
2: All right, sorry, I'm, go ahead. Longtime listeners of our show know exactly what's underneath those layers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know.
2: The
4: cotton Jackie Bivens um, wrote in.
0: All right, go ahead. Jackie Bivens. <laughs> I'm
4: just kidding. Jackie Bivens wrote in my aunt Ersel, pretended for decades her husband just up and left her. Finally confess more than 40 years later that she ran him off with a shotgun.
2: Oh, wow, that's good.
0: Yeah, that's a good ant story. Aunt Ursel, I think. Yeah, um, that's, that's wow. a great
2: ant name too, yeah.
0: yeah. Just just up and left me one day. Don't even know why. And then 40 <laughs> years later, you know, it could have been that shotgun.
2: Wow, <laughs> that's a great ant story. Yeah, absolutely. That's one, of the, that's one of the best that we have. I don't even have... I would like to hear, Hey, Jackie Bivens, if you hear this, uh, if you got any other stories about Aunt Ursel, please send them in, because she's my new favorite aunt.
0: Oh, she's a great aunt. You don't want to cross her, I'll tell you that.
2: Nope. <laughs> All right, uh, t- Tony, uh, one more?
4: Yeah, from Lauren Matone. My Aunt Millie once told her dog... You fucked for them, you feed them, as she dumped the dog into the box of puppies. She also told me I was just as good as those fucking whores when I was accepted into a prominent women's college. I miss her.
0: Wow. <laughs> Boy. Boy. Her Aunt Millie really had a way with words.
2: I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. that. Aunt Millie, I got I'm into gonna... Wellesley. Well, you'll do great there. You're just as good as those fucking whores. Remember that.
0: Yeah, that, those yeah.
3: are,
0: yeah, those are, those are words too. Yeah, those should be on a on a uh, a sampler, uh, embroidered on a sampler somewhere. That's
1: beautiful.
2: <laughs> That's right. You know well, what, I would ex- I would accept a pillow uh, from any of our listeners, uh, any nobodies, with that uh, done in needlework on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, (laughs) absolutely beautiful. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Those were great uh, ant stories, and thank you, nobodies, for those ant stories.
2: Yeah, I loved them. Now, uh, Paula, let's do an inelegant segue and say, what's going on in the Poundstone product empire this week?
0: Oh, my gosh. It's, you know, the thing about the new year is it's been so busy. Um, I've been making a goofy little game show called Nobody Asked You starring Paula Poundstone, and I play the role of Paula Poundstone. You can watch it on YouTube or at my website, paulapoundstone.com. If you'd like to be part of the Zoom audience or bring a friend or family member to be contestants, uh, earning points for how much you know about one another, contact us at Nobody Asked You. Gmail.com. Uh, I made a lot of video messages for people over the holiday. My dog Mo and my cat Theo growled, hissed, bumped the tripod, and stole focus on many. They're standing by to interrupt a video message to your friend or annoying neighbor. Go to cameo.com slash 33 That's cameo.com slash 33
2: it's great, and I just want to add, me and the uh, comedian Jeff Cesario are still doing those uh, sports simulcasts. Um, we're getting into these NFL playoffs right now, and it's been super fun. We've been doing them lately on the Stereo app. If you want to hear more, you want to watch the game on a big network while listening to us, um, you can go get information at starburnsports.com on my Twitter feed or just go to the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Facebook page, and you can find all about it there. Hey. Hey, what's that noise? What is that noise? That's really weird. Oh! Oh, Jesus. Hang on a second. Um, this is a little embarrassing, guys. Um, the our phone here and Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone apparently has been off the hook for a long time.
0: Uh, you know, I was wondering why we haven't had a 100th caller for the 100th caller contest oh my That's gosh right. so we've been stuck f- at 99 for like
2: 2 weeks
0: we have been and the phone's been off the hook um for those uh, listeners who don't know we have a 100th caller contest um that we've been doing for i don't know a few weeks and um uh, the winner of the 100th caller contest More like a year. wins yeah it's, you know it's few, few few well, maybe fifty-two weeks or so. <laughs> Possibly um, wins more than a, <laughs> a uh, any appliance they want from Roger Federer's appliance store, and also, and which this isn't. really primes the pump of excitement for the hundredth caller contest, uh, which is they would also get to hang out with Adam after the game. Oh my gosh, we've had we've had callers going crazy for this prize. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I have to tell you, Paula, I have uh, treated emotionally treated this um, this contest like a terminal disease. In that, um, (laughs) I I, 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 I both um, I don't want to get to its end point, and yet um, because I dread it, and at the same time, I just want it to be over with. So I'm glad glad that we found that the phone off the hook. Because maybe next week we'll have a winner to the hundredth caller contest and and move on with our lives. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um, if you want to enter our theme song contest, send it to us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's where you can offer compliments and complaints as well. Nobody listens to Paula at gmail.com. Um, also, subscribe to the podcast. You'll want to hear that next one. It's free to subscribe. You'll get it every week. No charge, no obligations. Nobody will come to your door. That is our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Mary Roach. We love her. And thanks Yay! to our... Ha- Yay! Yay! Thanks, Mary. And big thanks to our returning champion house band, Casey Bozell.
1: Yay! Her website... Yay!
2: Yay! Our website is keepclassicalweird.com. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Mixing by Michael Hoagie. Star Burns production by Landromo. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service.
0: That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me?
2: Call me Ishmael. I, I
0: lost my focus there for a second. Oh, you know, um, Adam, is it me or does Captain Crinkle seem distracted uh, today?
2: She seems really <laughs> distracted. I, I, wonder whether she's watching TV or reading Moby Dick.
0: I, I think no, I, she's she's multitasking. <laughs> she's absolutely multitasking. There's no no she doubt thinks, in my mind. She, she thinks you can multitask, and really you can't. It's, uh, it's, a, it's scientifically proven.
2: Uh, you cannot multitask.
0: Yeah. It's when Mary Roach um, uh, writes her new book, Bonnie, The Curious Science of um, Captain Crickle. Imaginary Crinkle. multitasking? <laughs> uh, yeah. She'll, that, there'll be at least one chapter on the fact that you cannot multitask.
2: Yeah, no, she didn't seem engaged at all.
0: No, she doesn't. I think some of it has to do with the new year. The new year was so important to her. And really, (laughs) it's the exact same. As you know, I don't care what the calendar says. You get up every day, it feels the same. Yeah. She was counting on so much more from twenty twenty-one.
2: I'm sure if she was
5: here. I'm in a black hole. (laughs) (laughs) a
1: podcast network.